Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we are helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can check us out online at mynsc.org. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout your week. And now, check out this week's sermon. And both of these messages pertain to overcoming lies that we believe from the enemy. Maybe all too often we're believing these lies. And today we're going to focus on what could be one of the biggest lies that we seem to struggle with, at least the most of us do. And I know this lie from the enemy uh, is something that I've struggled with in my past. And I'm sure it's going to sound awful familiar to you as well. Uh, that the enemy has convinced way too many people of this lie, and you can write it down in your notes, and it's this, that you didn't just fail, you're a failure. You didn't just fail, you're a failure. And the old devil has convinced you that you didn't just screw up, that, that you didn't just drop the ball, that it's become your identity, that it's who you are as a person. And here's what I know, new song. I know that we all have scars and, and I also have learned over the 39 years that I've got to spend on this planet that most of the scars that are most painful are not the ones that we carry on the outside of our body. That the most painful scars are the ones that we carry deep within our soul. They're, they're ones that, that linger in our hearts. These are ones that really have to do with who we are and what we've become. You know what I'm talking about? Have you been there? Have you experienced that? It's those things that we've said and that, that we know that we can't reel them back in. It, it's, it's the things that we've done and ways that we've acted that we can't take back. And it's things that at the very thought of them, it makes our soul cringe with regret. And it's at these points that the enemy has found a way in. He's found a foothold in, a foothold in our life to move in for the kill. Because we know that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will do anything he can to get that foothold in your life so that he can come in and steal and kill and destroy. And many times he uses this lie that it's not simply a weak moment in our life or a foolish moment. No, the enemy begins to mold it and shape it and it becomes the very identity in which we define our very lives. And the enemy says stuff to us like, you didn't just fail, you are that infidelity. You didn't just fail, you are that failed marriage. You are that abuse. You are that bankrupt business that failed. You are that hurtful thing that you said or that you did. And for so many of us, we live our lives believing that. And with that in mind, I want to show you guys a, a guy in the Bible who knows all about that kind of self-condemnation. A man who knew about this kind of guilt and this failure. And he probably knew it as well as anyone who's ever lived and maybe more so because of his proximity to Jesus. But it's important that we understand how Jesus responded to his failure. And it's my prayer today that healing would come to this body of believers, 
that healing would come to everyone in the room and everyone that's watching online. And let me just say this, that I am very aware that when I get opportunities to preach the gospel up here, that many times God will give me a word that actually reaches the masses. It, it, it has a widespread connection and a hit to many people. But then there's also times that God will give me a word that it's really, there might be a lot of people in the audience. There might be a lot of people watching from home, but it really only hits three or four people. And that's just how much God loves you. That he would put it all together, that, that everything, he would put on an entire service and put a word on a pastor's heart just for you. Because I believe there's some people in this room that, that this might be the very lie that's been holding you back all of your life. That, that you know that you have an easy time believing that God has forgiven you, but your struggle has been you haven't forgiven yourself. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would move in your soul today and that God's word would do what only God's word can do. That it would be like the prophet Jeremiah said, that it would be rain that would water your scorched earth. Because I believe some of you in here, you've started to believe the enemy's lies saying that you didn't just fail, that you're just a failure, that God's not going to be able to use you. And can I tell you, that's a lie. And I'm praying that there would be freedom that come to you through the power of the Holy Spirit and the beauty of his word. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this awesome opportunity, Lord, to come up and just give your word to your people. And Lord, I pray that there would be healing in the house today, that there would be healing online. Lord, that there would be people set free from the lie of the enemy that would say that they're a failure and they've gone too far and done too much. Lord, I pray freedom from that. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me set it up for you, new song. So in the gospel of Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is in this room and he's surrounded by his disciples. And the Bible tells us that this is going to be their last meal together as a group. And Jesus is telling them that his death is now imminent. It's going to happen. There's no stopping it. And it's important for you to understand this because I think sometimes there's a, a great misconception when we read scripture especially given the fact that we, we can look back in retrospect because we have thousands of years of being able to study and understand what scripture says. We understand now the power of the cross. We understand the plan of salvation. We understand it now. But put yourself in the disciples' shoes. In real time, some 2,000 plus years ago, they didn't get it. They didn't fully understand it. I think we sometimes read scripture and we think, oh, they were with Jesus. They were the chosen 12. They just got it. The truth of the matter is they really didn't. A lot of times they did miss it. Oh yes, they believed that Jesus was different. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but their idea of what the Messiah was gonna look like was way different than what we now know it to be and way different than what they would discover him to be. You see, they believed that he was going to liberate Israel and return it to its place of prominence and power. And they thought that they were going to do that by might and by power and by sword and by fighting. 
that conflict was going to solve this. And they were just going to rise up and run Rome right out of there and be back in that seat of prominence. They had no clue that in just three days from this meal, that Jesus would be hanging on a cross, lifeless and dead. That's just not what they believed. But Jesus is trying to tell them, hey guys, I'm about to fulfill the very purpose for which I came, but you're not getting it. And Jesus reveals to the disciples that the events that are to come in the next few days, they're going to be brutal. It's going to be rough. There's going to be times when you're, the Bible says, scattered. There's going to be times that you're afraid. There's going to be times that you want to run. And yet at the sound of this, one of Jesus's most vocal and protective disciples that he has in his squad named Peter. He stands up almost offended at the very suggestion that he would ever turn his back on Jesus. And in essence, he looks at Jesus and says, how could you ever say something like that to me? Like, you know me better than anyone knows me. Jesus, listen, I I don't know about Matthew. I don't know about Bartholomew, James, or John. I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe they would run. Maybe they would scatter and be afraid, but you know me, you know me, Jesus. You know, I'm willing to go to prison for you tonight. You know that I'm willing to die for you tonight if that's what it calls for. And then Jesus looks at Peter and he says this in Luke 22, verse 34. He says, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Peter responds, it'll never happen. Not me. So we fast forward. Jesus is arrested. Peter's following at a distance. Things start to get real, just as Jesus promised. The Bible says they begin abusing Jesus. They begin mocking Jesus, pulling his beard, pulling his hair, hitting him with things. Apparently it's in an open courtyard that this takes place. And Peter has now slipped to the back of the crowd because what he's seeing, he doesn't like. He doesn't really know how to handle it. He, be, he sees what he's seeing and, and the emotion of it is unsettling to him. It's hitting him in a different way than he ever expected it to hit him. It was hitting him in a way that he never anticipated. When all of a sudden this young girl standing by a fire happens to see his profile in the flames. And she recognizes Peter. She says in Luke 22, verse 56, she said, a servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, hey, this man was one of Jesus's followers. And before Peter even realizes what's going on, they all start looking at him. And Peter's like, I I don't know what you're talking about. I've never met that man. But the servant girl's persistent. She says, no. I know I've seen you before. I'm sure of it. Peter starts looking around and he, he notices that people are starting to believe what the girl's saying and not buying what he's saying. And then there's a third time where a man says, no, I'm telling you, I know you. I've seen you before. And as a matter of fact, your accent is giving you away. You're Galilean and you are a follower of his. And so at this point, obviously very scared, probably a bit angry. 
Peter, according to Matthew 26, verse 74, it says, he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Now, before I've always read through that and I've read, I've just breezed right over that and it's never hit me. Okay, he called down curses. Do you know what that means? That when he called down curses and many theologians uh, agree with this, that Peter actually in that moment used what would be deemed strategic profanity. That he was cussing a little bit in this moment. And he did it just to show the men and women gathered around the fire that nobody like him, nobody that would use that kind of language would ever have anything to do with such a holy and wonderful rabbi like Jesus. And then he proceeds to deny Christ a third time. And at that very moment, Luke twenty two sixty tells us that just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Can you imagine the emotion? I always envision it almost like a, a scene out of a movie where he knows what he's done. He hears the rooster crow and he cuts his eyes across the courtyard and connects eyes with Jesus. And through blood and matted hair, Jesus looks directly at Peter and Peter directly at Jesus. Peter knows that Jesus knows. Now, I don't believe that Jesus gave a look of anger. I also don't believe that Jesus gave a look of disappointment. And I surely know Jesus was not confused because he had already predicted it. But I truly believe that when he looked at Peter, he looked at him with a look of injured love, a broken love. And the Bible says in Luke 22, 61 and 62, it says, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind that before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And the Bible says he went outside and wept bitterly. I like that the message paraphrase actually uses what's called a redundant verb to really get a point across where it says he went out and cried and cried and cried and cried. He was broken with regret the moment that it happened. And he was full of shame for what he had done. And all of a sudden, the self-condemnation was more than he could bear. And his heart was utterly and completely crushed. And with it, his will to even continue in ministry was crushed. And I'll show you that in just a moment. But we fast forward again. Jesus is crucified. But on that Easter morning, spoiler alert, he gets out of the tomb. And he gets out of the tomb. And there's a million things that Jesus could have done. And there's probably a million more we think he should have done. But look at what he does, because what he does is a telltale sign of how he feels about our failures as well. One of the first things he does after coming out of the tomb is he heads straight for Peter. So I want to start right there, and I want to share three observations this morning from Peter's story, because I believe that for many of us, it can be our story too we'll start with number one. And that's this failure can make us want to give up. I know you felt it. I know you've been there. I know I've been there several times in my life. 
Or maybe there's been a shortcoming. You just, you know, you say something you wish you wouldn't have said. You do something that you know you just probably shouldn't have done. And then all of a sudden, just that overwhelming self-condemnation. All of a sudden, that failure makes you want to give up. But let me show you this. So all the, this is in John 21, verse two through three, all the disciples have kind of gotten together and kind of trying to figure out, okay, what, what just happened? What's going on? That didn't go the way that we expected it to go. I thought he was the Messiah. I thought it was going to look like this. I didn't think it would look like that. And here they are. It says several of the disciples were there. Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. And Peter said, I'm going fishing. You ever been there before? Everything crashing down around you? You're like, I'm going fishing. And the disciples said, well, we'll come too. And so they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Now, when you first read that, it seems very pedestrian. It seems like it's not that big a deal. There's nothing going on there. But can I tell you, it's a very big deal. And I want to show it to you. Because this is what Peter did before he ever met Jesus. It's what he was. Peter was a commercial fisherman. That was the family business. So you need to understand that when he said, I'm going fishing, he, he wasn't actually saying it in a casual manner. He wasn't saying, boy, we got a nice evening. Let's go wet the line a little bit. That wasn't the context of this. And you have to remember when he first met Jesus just three years earlier, what was going on? Peter was on a boat. He had a horrible night of fishing. And as he's cleaning his nets, he's given up for the night. He's cleaning, he's mending his nets, getting things ready probably for the next day. Jesus walks up and says, hey, push back out and let your nets down again. To which Peter had to be like, brother, I've been fishing these waters since I was a boy. I know how to do it. I know when the fish are here and I know when the fish ain't here. And brother, the fish ain't here. But yet Jesus kind of goes about it and almost like a just humor me attitude. And he said, Hey, I want to show you something if you'll just trust me. And so of course the Bible tells us that Peter shoves offshore. He goes out a little ways. Jesus instructs him to throw his net on the right side of the boat. And the Bible says, Peter then proceeds to pull in such a catch. And it's one of the greatest hauls of his career. And in fact, it actually breaks his nets. There's so many fish. And it was in that moment that Peter knew Jesus was different. It wasn't like everybody else. And it's also in that moment that Jesus invites Peter to leave the family business and join him in ministry. So Peter pulls his boat up shore. He unloads everything. And here's the interesting thing is that scripture doesn't say, oh, and then Peter held an auction, auctioned off the boat, the nets, everything, and then went on his way with, with everything that he gathered. No, the Bible just says he pulled the boat to shore and he started following Jesus. Can you imagine that level of faith? It's a man of faith we're talking about here. But this moment of faith three years ago must feel like an eternity ago. That was in the past. And even if Jesus was alive in Peter's mind, he's thinking, well, then I'm no longer qualified to be part of any ministry that Jesus is doing. I've surely disqualified myself. 
Not after what I did, not after what I said. There's no way he would take me back. Not after abandoning him in the most desperate moment of his life on earth. Not after going back on the word that I so strongly declared that it would never happen. What does he do? He returns to the only thing he's ever known, fishing, his former life. And then I really believe that at some point in Peter's mind, he's thinking, hey, it was a good run. I saw some incredible stuff and I was given a tremendous opportunity, but I've messed it all up. That's in my past. I got to spend, I had the opportunity to spend the most amazing time with the most amazing individual who's ever walked the earth, but now it's over. I'm no longer qualified and it's time for me to just accept that reality. Have you ever felt like Peter? That maybe what you've done, things you've said, stuff you've done in the past has disqualified you somehow from that same ministry that we read in scripture says that God had a plan and a purpose that he placed in you while you were yet being molded in your mother's womb. Yet you feel like your past decisions have all of a sudden corrupted that and Somehow God must have removed his hand from that calling. Can I tell you, new song, that is a lie from the pits of hell. God still has that plan. He still has that purpose for your life. He's just waiting for you to bring it to the cross. And it's in these weak moments that the enemy loves to move in. He he sees that we're weak and he moves in for the kill. And you start to hear those little kind of whispers to your soul from that crafty little voice telling you, who do you think you are that God would ever use you? You know what you've done. You know what you've said. Others know what you've done and said. How dare you think that God would partner with you and do anything to further his ministry and his kingdom? Lies. New song, do you know how many times that I've walked out on this platform and just felt completely unworthy to do this? How many times I've I've just felt completely unworthy to pastor, to love people, to lead teenagers, to to come alongside Pastor Justin and Jennifer and the rest of the staff and and be able to lead people on, on a mission to know God and find freedom and discover purpose and to make a difference? You wouldn't believe how many times that the enemy has beat down Mallory and I into making us feel less than. The enemy tells you things like, hey, great purpose is only for people that haven't done and haven't said the things that you've done and said. And this is exactly where Peter finds himself in this moment, that failure is right in front of him. Every day he's reminded It reminds him of what was, but what probably never can be again. But that's number two. Things always change whenever Jesus shows up. Let me show it to you. John 21, verse four through six starts like this. It says, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. Pause, time out. Let's stop right there. One of the first things that Jesus did, we know that that Sunday morning at dawn, Easter Sunday, the Bible says that Mary Magdalene and the women went to the tomb, discovered that the stone had been rolled away and that Jesus was not there. So we are talking literally just moments 
after Jesus has resurrected, now he's making a beeline for the shore. It continues, but the, excuse me, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Don't miss this. Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Do me a favor, new song. I want you to really lean in right now in the next few moments because I'm going to weave all this together for you and show you how incredible and amazing the Bible is when you dive into it and what it represents. This is incredible. So first of all, why does that miracle sound so familiar? It's because it's happened before. I just told you about the very first time it happened. And the only other time that Jesus ever did this miracle was in chapter five of Luke's gospel. When Jesus initially called Peter into the ministry and asked him to be his disciple. Now that's incredibly interesting, but hold that in your mind for just a moment. And we're going to continue with the guys in the boat. It says the moment the net was suddenly full of fish, then they recognized it was Jesus. And when they recognized it was him, they dropped everything and they made a beeline for the shore. It says in John 21 verse nine, when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Now don't miss the details in this. Don't overlook the specifics at the fact that the Bible uses specifically over a charcoal fire. Because the only other place in all of the Bible where a charcoal fire is mentioned is in John 18, 18, when it talks about what the fire was built with in the courtyard where Peter was warming his hands and was about to deny Jesus three times. It's not coincidental. Let me continue. So they're all eating together on the shore. They're on the beach. They're eating their fish and their toast. They're around this charcoal fire. But if I was a wagering man, I would wager well over a million dollars that Peter probably couldn't look Jesus in the eye at the moment. And yet I envision and hang with me, ride with me here, folks, for a moment. This is Pastor Josh's imagination. That Peter with his head down, eating his fish, and Jesus is looking right at him, but he can't make eye contact with Jesus. The Bible does say that while they were eating, Jesus says, Peter, he answers, yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? As much Peter replies, I would imagine almost sheepishly, Lord, you know I love you. And then they eat a little bit more. And then the Bible says that a second time Jesus asks, Peter, do you really love me? I imagine Peter, who still can't look him in the face, says, Lord, I don't know what to say. You know, I love you. And Jesus replies, then take care of my sheep. And then a third time, Peter, do you love me? And by this time, I would imagine almost upset, like, Lord, are you just rubbing this in my face? You know what I did? Yes, I love you. I've always loved you. I can't believe what I did. I can't believe that I denied you, but I love you. Jesus replies, then feed my sheep. 
So why would Jesus ask Peter three separate times the same question and give him three similar instructions? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. Let me continue to weave it together for you. I believe that Jesus performed the miracle of the large catch of fish again to remind Peter of the initial call that was on his life. To remind him of that day that Jesus saw something in Peter that nobody else had ever seen in Peter and that Jesus seen something in Peter that Peter didn't see in Peter. He built him a charcoal fire so that there would be that aroma that only a charcoal fire puts forth and it would go into his nostrils and into his mind and he would remember He would remember that day in the courtyard, that night, and he would know that his failure was not final. That he was forgiven, and now it's time to forgive himself and to move on. Somebody needed to hear that in this room today, or maybe watching online from home. That maybe you screwed up. Maybe you made some terrible decisions in your past, and you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, But maybe you've even bought into the fact of, you know what though? Hey, yes, Jesus has forgiven me. That's what the pastor says. I'm going to believe him. He's forgiven me. But the issue is you haven't forgiven yourself. So therefore you have not moved on. You just remain in bondage, believing the lie of the enemy to say that you didn't just fail, that you're a failure. Can I tell you today, I want you to get free from that mentality. And I want you to know that you have been set free. You're not bound up by your past and that it's time for you to not only be forgiven, but to forgive yourself so that you can move on. And I believe he asked the same question and gave the same charge three times to prove to Peter that no matter how bad he had fallen, no matter how bad he had failed or just generally messed up, that God was not done with him and that the best was still yet to come in his life. And I know somebody needed to hear that in the building today. And if you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. That thing that makes your soul cringe with regret when you think of it, that that thing that has kind of become your identity because it's been with you so long, whatever that sin is, it's not greater than Jesus's greater grace. You have to know that today. Romans 8.1, you heard me preach it a few weeks ago when I got to speak. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. New song, you are free, but it's not because of you. It's because of him. Somebody needs to give me a better amen in the building today. That's something worth celebrating. You need to know that when Jesus pushed up on his nail pierced feet and said to telestai or it is finished, that the work of salvation was complete. And all you have to do is have enough faith to believe it and come before the foot of the cross. And the Bible says that you will be made new in Christ Jesus. That means that you're not that infidelity. You're not that failed marriage. You're not that abuse. You're not that misuse. 
You're not that tragic moment that occurred in your life. You're not the thing that the enemy says you are. You've been made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's what's so amazing about when we have baptism services that we get to see it in the flesh demonstrated that these are people that have come to Christ, that they are dying to their old life and their old self. And they're being raised to life again by Christ made new. New song. Did you know that God's not in love with some future version of yourself? I think that's a lot of times how we process that and, kind of handle that because we can't imagine the kind of unconditional love that Jesus shows. So we think in our head, well, he's just in love with maybe the person that I will become, but he doesn't love me because he knows what I've done and I know what I've done. He's not in love with a future version of yourself. He's in love with you. Just the way that you are. Now he loves you too much to keep you there, but he loves you right where you're at. One of my favorite verses in scripture, Romans 5, 8. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, hey, once we straightened up, once we got everything lined up and everything perfect in our life, then Jesus said, okay, this counts for you. What he did on the cross counts for all of us. We just have to confess it, bring it before him realize that that sacrifice on the cross is way greater than our greatest sin. So we know that failure makes us want to give up. We know that when Jesus shows up, it changes everything. And this is my last point of the morning. Number three, God's grace gives us the power to get up and keep going. You see, I love the story of Peter and here's why. Because when you keep reading and you keep following the life and the story of Peter, you discover that Peter goes from that shoreline breakfast where he can't look Jesus in the eye. He's defeated. He's overwhelmed with guilt and shame. He can't believe that he's done those things that he did. He can't believe that he denied his savior. He feels like he's abandoned the dream. He's a failure. He's disqualified himself from ministry. He's broken. But we keep reading. And then we get to Acts chapter two. And in Acts chapter two, those that are familiar with the word, we know that in Acts two, we don't see a Peter that's timid or a Peter that's weak. We don't see a Peter that feels unqualified. We, we, we don't see a Peter that is just convinced that he failed and he's a failure. Oh no. No. We see that he's a powerful Holy Spirit filled preacher that stands up and declares the risen Savior and over 3,000 people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ that day. It's the same Peter that messed up. It's the same Peter that denied Jesus practically to his face. Yet, God never gave up on him. He never removed his hand from the calling and the anointing that he had on his life. 
man, many of you that know any level of my testimony know that probably from about 18 to 25, I couldn't make a good decision if it slapped me in the face. Really, I look back on it and I think I was doing everything I could to try to disqualify myself from ministry because it scared me. This is a big responsibility. The Bible even says teachers and preachers of the law are going to be more harshly judged. At that time, I remember being an early 20s thinking, I don't need that in my life. I might get in by the skin of my teeth anyway. It scared me. Just making stupid decisions and just trying to disqualify myself, but I've, I discovered something. That you can't do anything that's going to disqualify you from the plan and the purpose that God has for your life. That that very thing that he placed in you while he was molding you in your mother's womb, he does not give up on. Scripture says he never removes his hand from you. So who in this room? Man, maybe you feel like the enemy's been telling you you're a failure. There's no way with what you've done and what you've said that you're ever going to do anything amazing for God and his kingdom. New song, it's a lie from the enemy. He's got a tremendous plan and a purpose for your life. Peter, when he finally realized it and when he was able to realize, hey, I'm forgiven and now I'm going to forgive myself and I'm going to move on. Once he realized that, he went from being sheepish and feeling defeated and broken to being powerful, spirit-filled. And when he got up and spoke for the very first time, promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ, 3,000 people got saved. How many people are you going to touch with what God has planned for your life? that the enemy's been trying to snuff out for far too long, convincing you that you're not worthy and that you're not called and that if you were, that it's been removed. Peter becomes this pivotal foundation for a movement that would change the world and is still changing the world to this day. I would go as far as saying what Peter and those that were pioneers of the first century church for what they did, the leaders that they rose up, that then rose up under them, that then rose up under them is why you and me are in this room right now being able to freely worship our Savior and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because of what they laid down as a foundation. So new song, whatever scar you walked in here with today, whatever failure, whatever pain, whatever you think has disqualified you, God brought you here on purpose, with purpose, so that I could stand here, not under the, my own power, but under the power of the Holy Spirit to tell you, your story is never over as long as Jesus is in it. And if you're not dead, God's not done. New song, would you stand with me? As we get ready to close, I don't ever want to allow an opportunity that I get to bring God's word to his people to go by without me giving you the opportunity to be able to maybe call upon the Lord for the very first time. And maybe you would say, man, you know what, Pastor Josh? Wow, been trying to do this life on my own for far too long. And I do feel like I'm not, I didn't just fail, but I'm a failure. But what you're saying makes sense. God still loves me and I just need to come before him. I need to go before the cross. 
And you're saying, that's me, Pastor. Or maybe, maybe you're saying, you know what, Pastor? At one time, I had a good relationship with God, but I found myself drifting away. Whether it was the pandemic or there was a tragedy that struck or whatever the case may be, I found myself pulling away from God. But today, I want to get back in good relationship with him. With everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, if that's you, and you're either saying, Pastor, I want to accept that grace from Jesus and what he did on the cross for me, or I want to come back to Jesus. If that's you, and you want me to include you in this prayer, would you just be bold enough to shoot your hand up? Nobody looking around. I see that hand. I see the hand in the back, the hand up front, the hands to the sides. That's awesome. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. I promise you that. So the first part of this prayer is going to be for you. You can choose to do whatever you want with it. You can say it to yourself. You can repeat after me. You can make it your own. It's not magic words. You just have to mean what you say. And then I'm going to pray over everybody because I think that this is a far-reaching message. I think there's far too many that have been captive by believing the lie of the enemy to say that you didn't just fail, that you're a failure. And I believe that there's been people set free in this building and watching from home. Let's pray. Jesus, I give you everything. I'm sick and tired of trying to do things on my own. I've been doing it far too long and it ain't working out. So today I surrender to you. I surrender everything. I wanna live for you from this moment forward. And I believe that you are exactly who you said you are, that you are the son of God, that you went to the cross and you died a criminal's death for me, that what you did on that cross, it counted for me and I accept it. And I know you didn't stay dead. No, you rose again three days later and would later ascend to the right hand of the Father where you are to this day interceding for me, standing up for me, speaking for me, defending me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me power to be able to live out this Christian life. And Lord, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice and that's watching online. Lord, I pray that if they've been listening and entertaining those thoughts and those lies from the enemy that would say that their failures define them and that they are a failure and they're not just someone that failed. Lord, that they would be set free, that they would know that you've already forgiven them just like Peter but now it's time for them to forgive themselves to be able to move on and move into the purpose that you have for their life so that they can begin to truly make a difference. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you're in agreement with that, would you give me a good amen? As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life, and we would love to continue on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org connect. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week. Thank you.